I'm Brittany Ashley. And I'm Laura Zach. And this is Sicker Sadder World, the podcast where we rewatch Daria and relate it to our current world. Wow, it is so nice to be back to a podcast that I truly call home. I was thinking safe the same thing. Place. I was about to be like, well, first I'm just going to tell them that I love them. Oh, God. That I miss them. Really learning to appreciate the audience we have fostered here. Totally. Like an audience that at least likes our voices and, you know, doesn't want us to change and wants us to have a great summer. <laughs> And who loves us like a sister. Lilas, Hackus, we want all those things, all those sweet things that you'd write in somebody's yearbook, which happy graduation to perhaps some of you. Oh, yeah. Enjoy that summer break. I'm sure many of you are being industrious, getting some jobs. I'm sure some of you are preparing to go to college for the first time. What are some kooky summer jobs that you've had, Laura? Well, I've been in the workforce since I was 11 years old, and first job was uh, my aunt and uncle in New Hampshire owned a campground, and I was technically security. My like, did they pay you money? Ass, yeah, three dollars an hour, and I would. My job was to sit at the like dirt road entrance of the campground and just make sure that every car had a pass in their window. And if they didn't, I'd have to stop them and ask them to go into the office. $3 an hour? Was this in, like, 1954? <laughs> this feels highly illegal. Yeah, actually, um, someone kind of on the way out, like, stopped me and was sort of, this woman was questioning me, like... She was trying to poach you? Well, she was a little bit like, blink twice if you're okay. Like, not <laughs> sure if, if, the, if it was child labor or what was going on. I was, I was like... No, bro, I'm just trying to save up money for some CDs. I get that. Yeah, I mean, they were about $12 a CD at the time, so I would have to work four hours <laughs> in yeah, the, in the sun. Yeah, for one whole CD. I also worked one summer for one week at a water park, Water Country in New Hampshire, if any of you are familiar. And I... Was that supposed to be like, water country? Like, what a country? Nope. It was just meant to be like water country, water country, water country, have some fun. Yeah. See, that's what I wanted. And <laughs> you got it. And I worked food service. And so for one solid week, I worked at like the hot dog stand and got to see really the ugliest sides of humanity. Um, also in that one week, three different couples were caught having sex in the lazy river and <laughs> I worked there one week. At the end of the week, I was the employee of the week. So, you know, if that wow. doesn't, if that didn't foretell something about my future, like you're going to do great, but you're going to also spill searing hot, like sausage oil on yourself. Sausage <laughs> grease. Yeah. We all yeah. have our versions of sausage grease. I was an umpire for six and seven year old girls for softball and the audacity that parents had to scream at me when they did not believe that something was a strike or a foul ball, for instance. It it was so insane that you thought that these parents had, like, money on the game. <laughs> it was absolutely nuts that I could only do it for a summer and then I had to quit. I also delivered newspapers. And that was really interesting because at 2 a.m. I would have to go to this 
like shipyard basically and just stuff newspapers as soon as they came in and you'd hear someone be like papers are in and then you'd just like rush to grab all your newspapers and stuff them in the bags speaking of 1950s i feel like both of your jobs are very like quaint americana totally the paper boy yeah and the baseball girl baseball girl and yeah with the newspapers you would have to like I would I would be driving in my car and I would just have to like flip them out of my car window and you it had to land like on their driveway otherwise they got refunded for it but Sundays they're like triple the weight of a regular newspaper and so it's like truly like hurling bricks out of a window it is so difficult I really toned my triceps that year really put you to sleep with that one <laughs> I was just like rubbing my eye like please no 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 it wasn't about you it's it's about me I'm trying to get into a space of not internalizing criticism and just uh hey I've read the four agreements enough to know that don't take anything personally rule number two because almost everything that someone says to you is how they feel about themselves so when people say, said that we had a monotone voice i'm trying to think of like what the self-equivalent would be like what that would mean about them maybe it's that they maybe they're maybe they feel sad that they aren't using their voice more or maybe they're they you know shy away from something that feels safe and secure and warm they need a rush to feel something you know right like they need us to sound happy so that they can feel happy yeah but But guess what? what i'm not that happy right now yeah, so, I could be better. Yeah, my mental health is pretty not great. So I'm going to be real. I'm in a perpetual state of, eh, okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> la, 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 la. La, 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 la. This is my style. Got to get up. Excuse me. Excuse me. I've got to be Season 5, Episode 7. Heartburn. Like heartburn. Like protect your heart, protect your art. Like the gazebo burned. Oh, God. Oh, damn, too literal, yeah. too literal. Um, but I, I have got to say, I love a Lane Family heavy episode. Yeah, we haven't really seen the Lane Family since uh, Lane Miserables. And I feel like that's a missed opportunity. I really liked that dynamic with all of the kids. I would watch a show that was just about that family. The Lanes. Keeping up with the Lanes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but the shittiest... Hanging, hanging with the Lanes. Yeah, that's another Playing option. with the Lanes. Yep. Laying down with the Lanes. The Lanes explain it all. Switching Lanes. Nice. Mine, the, mine are kind of better, but the, it's okay. The, the Lane Bryants? No. <laughs> Um, life in the fast lanes 
The Mansplainsers? No, I don't like that one. I thought it was a safe space that I was returning to, but... And I think that we fostered a space where I can... We can critique each other, you know? No, that's a real thing, though. (laughs) A little lady named Esther Perel (laughs) talks about... Maybe I read this in Wired for Love. Anyway, it was one of the self-help relationship books that I've read after I've been destroyed by women. And... um, (laughs) I got a whole shelf. Yeah, take a look. The idea of how you have to create a really safe container with your partner, whatever type of partner you may be talking about, in order to feel like the stakes when you are in conflict or in disagreement, the stakes aren't this relationship is going to end. You know, that you feel safe within your ability to have conflict and to be sassy. So this episode dives into a lot of themes that we talk about a lot on this show about artistic statements versus bank statements. Right. Taking it from Trent. Yeah. And family dynamics and nostalgia and, you know, what we are sentimental about and what we need to let go of. And so it starts out, we see Mystic Spiral out on a gazebo in the Lane's yard and Jane is filming. I wasn't sure if it was a music video, but there was a smoke machine. It seemed like maybe it was a, a promo for Mystic Spiral. And in the middle of their shoot, the gazebo collapses. It does. And the person that is particularly upset about it is Jane and Trent's brother, Wind, who said that this is the naming gazebo and it means a lot to him. And so... Trent decides for Jane that she probably has to sell some of her art at Art in the Park to raise money to pay to reconstruct this gazebo, basically. So then we're taken to this very, like, Taste of Lawndale kind of situation. And what he meant by the naming gazebo or the way he described it was that that's where their parents had taken each baby to decide the name of them. And so that's where he got the name Wind. And so, and it reminded me of like several years ago, my parents putting on the market, like our family home that my grandfather had built and having to sell it. And then my brother kind of swooping in and like working out a situation with them where he could take over the mortgage payments and they all ended up moving in together. And it was one of those things where I too felt like it was very important to keep the house in the family because it is such an important kind of like home base for my family. But at a certain point, you got to be okay with walking away from something and letting something be in your memory if it's going to affect your quality of life moving forward. Right. Like you can't just stay somewhere because of the way that it made you feel in the past. You got to look towards the future. You got to move on. Yeah. And granted, like now they're creating new memories with my niece and whatnot there. But I don't know. It's just interesting when different siblings have a different relationship to like sentimentality and like nostalgic places of their like family mythology. So now we are at Art in the Park and my favorite little side storyline is the caricature artist that the fashion club goes to. Oh, so good. Reminds me of Cedar Point. Reminds me of Myrtle Beach. Reminds me of Six Flags. I got them everywhere I went and... I don't know why, but I always happened to get caricatures when I felt like the least comfortable about how I looked, like when I had like really big glasses and like braces and like had bangs and like really bad bangs that I would like curl out. 
Yeah, and I think that's how it works. Like that usually is the time of your life that the time of your life <laughs> that you end up in situations where caricatures are happening. I feel like there were a lot of events when I was younger. Like I can't remember the last time that I saw a caricature artist, but they're at amusement parks and they're at these things that are very kid-friendly. And especially growing up in a time that wasn't so proliferated by social media and the culture of selfies and all of that, I think there is something particularly... Like it feeds a type of like hopeful narcissism in you when you're younger and you're trying to figure out like what you look like. And how other people receive yeah, you. Yeah, like what you look like to other people. And you're like, fuck, that's me? Yeah, it's really it's awful. My big dumb head? Yeah, I remember I got one at like senior night in high school and it was, it was actually kind of cute, but it was still, <laughs> yeah, to be honest, it made me feel good. Because if like, I feel like... <laughs> It's a different experience than the one that we just agreed on. I know. I know. I'm just, you know, examining my own, like, Narcissism. when am I lying? <laughs> yeah, but I did in this scene, I was struck by how, again, of the time period this scene is. Because you know that if this was a contemporary show and if the fashion club were in 2018, they would be fucking nightmares on Instagram. They wouldn't need this guy because they would just no. be like posting you know portrait mode glamorous Tiffany would photos. definitely have a lot of brand deals for sure she'd be hashtag adding it all all over her page yeah and I feel like Stacy would kind of like have captions that were artful quotes like song lyric captions totally and Sandy would just be like 100% selfies and Quinn would like sprinkle in some funny stuff yeah and a lot of like outfit of the day stuff they are the demo for kind of that aspect of the culture now so this is like a thing where they wanted to capture this moment of them together apparently they didn't know what a caricature meant and um he makes this painting of them and they are looking at it much like when someone takes a photo it's like everyone's just looking at themselves and seeing if they look good they seem horrified and when they refuse to buy it, he's like, okay, I'll just put it on my display. You don't have to buy it. And Sandy's like, you can't do that. You can, you know, doesn't want like everyone to see how horrible they look. So she buys it just out of the principle of keeping it out of the public eye. And I mean, that storyline certainly escalates to the point where they want to try and sue him for defamation of character. For slander. They, they use every kind of like legalese term that they can pull from to accuse this man of affecting their reputation, essentially, by portraying them as unattractive. And they reach out to Helen because they think that, well, Quinn, Sandy, and Tiffany all reach out to Helen, even though Helen is horribly busy. And Tiffany especially irritates Helen the most just because of how slowly she speaks, obviously. And Helen just has too much going on. But she's trying to explain to them, like, no, there's like nothing we can do about this. And we'll save the the sweet twist of an ending in a little bit. Stay tuned. And then we see that Tom and Daria are at the art fair and they make their way over to Jane's booth where she has a bunch of her original paintings, including a an interpretation of Van Gogh's Starry Night that is upside down. And she painted it upside down intentionally. And she gets a couple people, like, 
stopping by, including the art teacher who compliments her work and a couple of people who don't understand the upside down Van Gogh. And it's also, is this the first time we've seen Tom and Daria like together uh, having like a normalized exchange with Jane? No, I think we saw something last episode of the one before, but I mean, they've really made Tom such a like a tertiary part of the show. He kind of just shows up every now and again. and You're just like, oh, yeah, Tom exists and he's dating Daria. You don't really I mean, because so many of the episodes are so like school focused and part of the school day, it's hard to see him a lot. They can only exist in in uh, in parts of the episode where it's like after school. Or on the weekend. And I kind of like that they chose to make him more peripheral after the drama of the end of season four and between Jane and Daria, the fact that it was such a huge deal in their lives and in their arcs. And then the fact that it kind of settled into this like normal thing where he's on the side makes me feel better about the fact that they fought over him because it actually makes it feel more about their friendship than about him. Yeah. I was just thinking about how I wish that they had given Daria a love interest who's actually like at the school. I feel like that would have made for some really good, some good stories. I thought you were going to say like a love interest who, who deserves her. Yeah, that too. Tom's okay. Tom's just like, they make him as likable as they can. He's just okay. Yeah. Like he's, he's, he's solid for a high school boyfriend. Like I'd say, you know, she did pretty well, but. It's a big world out there, baby girl. So one person that Jane's Upside Down Starry Night catches the eye of is this guy, Gary, who compliments her on the way that it allows you to see the work completely different when it's upside down. And he tells her that he would love to bring her on as a painter to recreate famous paintings for his gallery and that he'd take 60% commission. And because Jane needs to you know get the payment for this gazebo she decides okay there's no harm i'll just do this until i can pay it back this seems easier than trying to sell all these paintings for fifty dollars she would have to sell 10 paintings that day to make five hundred dollars what was up with that scene with mr o'neill and miss barch at the art fair oh yeah so that was uh mice made out of clamshells and Miss Barch freaks out and she says, male mice. And she's mad that there isn't female mice representation in that display. But how does she know that they're male? Just because they're... I think they're dressed as like men. Oh, so she's being gendered about clothing. She is. Maybe she's the one in the wrong, you know? Yeah, that could have been a bunch of butch mice. Yeah, but to her credit, I almost always think that whenever I've had an infestation of mice or rats in apartments of mine. I just always assume they're male. Yeah, that's fair. And whenever I have had a cent- a centipede infestation, I kind of assume they're agender. Mm. I once got bit in the butt by a centipede in bed. They bite? If you roll on them by accident, they sure do. Fuck. So Jane is working for Gary now. She's working for Gary's gallery and she gets her first check, and it's $200, and she's already dealing with the struggle of not feeling much like an artist because she's not really working on her stuff, and I feel like that's a really relatable feeling. I mean, not feeling satisfied or fulfilled if you're not furthering your own work rather than, you know, someone else's or making, like, recreations of something. 
Right. And sometimes when for money you are doing something that uses the same muscles and 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 makes you use a certain level of creativity, it's like drains you in a way that like doing a job that has nothing to do with your art wouldn't. Like I feel like that's why a lot of artists will take you know, when they're when they're coming up and trying to establish themselves in their career, will opt more for like food service jobs or things where they're very demanding jobs physically and emotionally, but they t- they take it from a different part of your energy. I was certainly the most creative and the most disciplined writer when I was a server. It reminds me of like Liz Gilbert's book. Uh, yeah, I call her Liz. For sure. So you, know. you guys are on a Liz name basis. Totally. Her book, Big Magic, where she talks about not making your art responsible for your survival. Like not putting that pressure on your art. Because then you're just going to only write things that you think will make you money. And it also will like stunt the inspiration. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she's she's coming up against this conundrum for the first time. And at first we think she might avoid it altogether because she sells two paintings rather quickly and makes over $500. And we learn from the other, there's so many little like uh, B stories throughout this episode, but we learn in another B story that the construction workers have said it will cost $500 to rebuild the gazebo, which seems very cheap. And Trent is put in this position of having to be like the taskmaster with these lazy construction workers. But she has made enough off of two paintings that she can walk away. And so she says she's going to. And then Gary follows up with the the lure of more sweet, sweet money and, you know, offers to give her a bigger piece of the pie. And on that same note of Trent having to kind of like crack the whip on these construction dudes, it's really fun to watch him not know how to take charge of other men or how to like boss them around because he's like, hey, it doesn't look like you're working at all. And the construction guy's like, is that a problem? And, And Trent says, I don't know, feels like it should be. (laughs) Like that he's just, he's completely flummoxed by the idea of having to tell someone what to do because he's against the man, you know? Like he he believes that everyone should just be able to kind of like do what they want to do. So for him to have to ask these men to do a service or a labor for him, he just like can't do it. Yeah, and he finally like Jane pressures him to say something because they are really doing nothing and he's finally yeah exactly the acting of this moment was really hilarious of him being like what am i paying you for like it's so (laughs) painful for him to get it out and he's like get back to work and then you know the the lead construction worker he's like all right everyone you heard the man and trent's like oh that was just cruel (laughs) i think the moment that really makes jane realize that she can't do this work anymore is actually a conversation that she has with Trent. And Trent tells her that Mystic Spiral doesn't play covers for a reason because it'll stifle their their artistic statements. And as he's walking away, Jane realizes that her arm feels tired and it never felt tired before when, you know, we see Jane painting all the time and doing art all the time, but it's only in the specific moment where she's been creating things that she doesn't even really care about, that all of a sudden her arm feels tired. She loathes painting 
now and she has this creative block from it because she's she's doing what she loves but not for the right reasons i'm about to start the artist's way fuck yeah so i could be completely changed in 12 weeks i'll let you go know how it's going but yeah it talks a lot about this sort of stuff and the art teacher who throughout the series has been consistently supportive and sort of sees jane's talent recognizes that she is lacking in originality lately so she's feeling it in her own body she's feeling it in the eyes of you know the people who normally celebrate her art and she and Daria get to a point where they are kind of like questioning Gary's motives and talk about the possibility that he might be upselling these paintings. Like he may be passing them off as originals and selling them for that tag price, basically. And so they create the sting operation where they want to see if he's actually pricing them, you know, as the originals and therefore underpaying Jane and basically their plan, I thought that their plan was to like have someone come in and be like, how much is this one? And then listening to like his spiel about how it's an original Oki for something. But their plan was just for Daria to go in and distract him while Jane grabbed some files that we never saw. Yeah, that you're so right. They didn't glean any information from the paper she stole. So Basically, Daria goes in. I bet in. that's going to come back in the finale. Hell yeah, better. Daria goes in and pretends that she's just curious about art recreations. And he gives a brief little spiel about it while Jane sneaks over to his desk and like grabs a piece of paper that was directly on top of the desk, which she totally could have just done at work sometime. Like ever heard of the bathroom like he must use it. <laughs> right. And it just seemed a little bit excessive. And then. The bit of information that propels them into the next scene is not has nothing to do with what it says on the paper. It has to do with Gary just telling them like, oh, Steve Taylor. Oh, Steve Taylor. Uh, but, you know, just mentions in passing that like Steve Taylor had bought one of Jane's paintings and Steve Taylor is Brittany's father. So that leads them to go to Brittany's house to further their investigation. And while Brittany is trying to give them a tour of all of Steve's paintings, Brittany says, yeah, that's an original Van Gogh. Well, she says, that's an original what's-his-name. And so that's when Jane and Jaria think that they're onto something, but then Steve comes out and admits that it's not an original painting and actually starts to point out all the things that, that are wrong with the painting. He says, yeah, a bunch of hacks turn out these copies, but look at this one, lazy brushwork. And that uh, painting is Van Gogh's chair, if you didn't know. And it really hits Jane where it hurts. And he says, too, like, whatever, you get what you pay for. So that disproves their suspicion that maybe these were selling for a lot more money. But it doubles down on Jane's budding insecurity about her artistic ethical sacrifices in doing this job. But I think she she wins her confidence back when train train when Trent Trent can't reprimand the construction guys. So Jane has to win the bush off and do it. And she also makes Trent help build the gazebo. And when one of the construction dudes hands a hammer to Trent, he goes, oh, ew. 
she shows back up at the house and Trent is napping alongside the construction workers. There's really a common thread of traditionally not toxic men as the main characters. Like, I feel like Jake isn't typically toxic male. I feel like Trent isn't that way either. That if anything... Um, it's it's women that are more of like the alphas and take charge in this series, right? No, that's true. And then we see it in uh, O'Neill and Barch and yeah, certainly with Helen and Jake. Tom, I think, falls a little bit more along the like what we would think of as a little bit like a privileged liberal dude. Joey, um, Jeffy, Jamie. Yeah, they're ready to be topped by Quinn any minute, Kevin and Brittany. But again, I don't know. Sometimes, though, I interpret that as some aspect of this form of masculinity when it's like in relationship with a woman, like romantic relationship, as still a consequence of the patriarchy and the sense, like the phenomenon of of like man babies or man children Mm. who just kind of go from the dynamic they had with their mother and like seek that out in a partner. And it's still like, there are still defined gender roles. There's just like a softened expectation on it coming out in a like hyper-masculine way, if that makes sense. Yeah. I definitely feel like Jake is a man child, but Trent no, Trent, I don't lump in with these other men I've listed off. Because, again, his non-toxicity is not only apparent in relationship because we haven't seen him in a long-term relationship. Unfortunately, You think that would even him out a little bit? No, I would just love to see that. I know. I would love to see that side of Trent. I know. What is Trent in love like? Well, I bet he's, like, really inspired. But maybe he's not in relationships because it, he maybe he feels like it stifles his creativity. We never will know. Maybe he's also asexual. That's also possible. But I forget the original point you're making about this. Who cares? All right. Jane's parents, when they return, they actually talk about wanting to tear down the gazebo right after the gazebo has just been reconstructed. And they talk about how, yeah, that naming gazebo thing that Wind was talking about, that that wasn't even real. They just told him that to make him feel better because he wanted to change his name to Ronald. And they wanted him to appreciate the name that he had. So basically, the memory that Wind attaches to this gazebo is a lie. Yeah, all, all of their work was for naught. But also, that's not true because there is an immense amount of personal growth that this gazebo offered to at least Jane. Totally. I bet she's never going to sell out ever again. And it's good she learns it now while she's in high school. And also, I feel like Trent is also had his own journey in this episode where he was pressured to sort of act as more of an adult in some ways. Like he was forced to wake up before 2 p.m. Um, to keep tabs on the construction workers. And like he he and Jane make a nice team when they need to. Then, as you mentioned earlier, we see Tiffany go show up at Helen's doorstep for, you know, to plea for Helen to help them sue this caricature, this caricature artist. And Helen is exasperated at this point because Quinn and Sandy have already approached her about the same thing. 
And this fucking usual suspects ending. Well, but also Tiffany now has escalated the bid. Like, now she's like, we don't just want to sue him. We want someone to break his fingers. Oh, yeah, that too. Yeah. Like those guys did in that movie. And then, yeah, we get an ending that is maybe, yeah, in my, like, top three favorite endings of a Daria episode. It is so fulfilling to it's, watch. First, we see Sandy and Quinn talking um, and just kind of like, what were they even talking about? Well, they were talking about like, good, like, burn it so that no one will ever see it. Right. Kind of being resolved that Helen at this point is not going to help them. And so that they're like, all right, well, let's at least destroy the evidence. And both of them then realize that neither of them has it. And then we fucking hard cut to Stacy. In, in Sta- her bedroom. And Stacy walks to her closet and she opens it and we see the incredible caricature final product where Quinn and like Tiffany Quinn and Sandy are all drawn with these over exaggerated features. Sandy has a scowl on her face while Quinn is pedaling their like two person bicycle and Tiffany is all alone looking so clueless. And then it's Stacy by herself looking beautiful holding flowers with like the cute eyes like a cute little anime girl it's like angry sandy kind of like freckly weird looking quinn and like very confused looking tiffany but like also like quinn being like a pushover and being like i'm gonna cart you around sandy Mm -hmm. and tiffany just being fucking nowhere and stacy like the character artist saw stacy for Aww. who she is, that she is this beautiful, bright light who is around be... these losers right now, but she'll break out eventually. And you just see Stacy smile because this is like the one representation of proof that she has that she actually is valuable, that she's beautiful, that she's seen. And I could also, cry. I know, so beautiful. But also, not just that she's beautiful, which she is. But that of this particular group of people, including these girls that make her feel so bad about herself. And so inferior. That she was captured, seen as and captured as the most beautiful of them all. And it wasn't even just, it wasn't just about like an aesthetic beauty. It was like, you could just tell there was like a sweetness. Yeah. Yeah. Like she's the only one smiling and she's, yeah. That was just so nice. I, I couldn't remember how like old the caricature artist was supposed to be, but sort of like, is that her soulmate? I think he was pretty old. Okay, that's fine. Just I'll take that part out. But it doesn't even matter. Like, I, I don't mean that it has to be. It doesn't have to translate to therefore you should date him or therefore it's a romantic thing. I just think it was really sweet that he saw in Stacy what we see in her. Which is just a really sweet bright light but not in a simple way like she is more intelligent and she's clued in a little bit more yeah i think that if sandy wasn't in the picture i feel like stacy and quinn would be really close because they're both with it i think that stacy just needs to get a little more confidence in herself to not be so anxiously attaching herself to people yeah, and I think this caricature is a first step toward that self-realization. Fuck. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Sicker Sadder World. We sure do appreciate you all. So much. So much. Like you guys are all the Stacys to us. Oh yeah. If I were to draw a caricature, it would just be a bunch of little anime cuties clutching flowers in the meadow with rainbows and hearts. My god. Can we get a caricature artist to capture this? Yeah. We'll just need everyone to send us a selfie yeah. and we'll get on that. <laughs> But we are, in the meantime, on the internet. Yeah. Uh, we're on, Heard of it? You know, Twitter. We're on Patreon. We have a website. And um, we also have a new podcast that some of you have already joined that journey. It's called Angel on Top. The first episode is out. The second episode will come out next week. And we'd love to see y'all over there, too. Hell yeah. 